Oh, God. Let's go. Wait, I gotta find it first. Oh, yep. You actually have to be on cocaine to be on this podcast. What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie, and tonight we are talking ball. A long off-season wait is finally over, and we have some legitimate football to talk some position groups that we want to preview and we just i mean we're ready to get into it this is my first non-live stream episode since june after i had a kid so i am uh i'm ready to get into it how about you guys i got that i got that itch baby i'm ready to talk k-state ball you know i'm ready to talk that's the stuff to talk around too it's like you walk through a grove of uh purple poison ivy you got the itch you're ready I got to that. go Got that crotch. Oh my edge. God. Get me <laughs> off of this show. What <laughs> in the world? The purple poison ivy. <laughs> the purple poison ivy crotch. You laughed. You laughed. Uh, yeah. I didn't laugh at the joke. I laughed at the you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Let's go. Let's talk ball. Well, uh, I guess just to kick it off, because this is probably the most recent news outside of Kleiman's presser, but the Cats are ranked number 17th in the preseason coaches poll. I think the AP poll will be that that'll be released on Monday, but we've got Brett McMurphy's already probably going to be the dud of the week because he left K-State out of his top 25 in the AP poll. But we're talking coaches poll. There's five teams in the conference that are ranked in the top 25 with K-State joining the uh, the Texas Shorthorns, the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, the TCU Horned Frogs, and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Uh, this is the highest preseason ranking that K-State's had since 2004 when they came in ranked, I think, at 13th, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and did definitely underwhelm in that 2004 season based on well, such a high ranking that they had preseason. But I guess my question to both of you, we're coming off of a really great season, going to the Sugar Bowl, obviously losing to Alabama, but winning a Big 12 conference title is massive. Does K-State have an opportunity to repeat this year? Do you think that that preseason ranking is too high, too low, or right about where you think they would be? And and do we, I mean, another part of this is, could we repeat 2004? Do we potentially underwhelm expectations with such a high expectation coming into the season for the first time in 19 years? For me, I don't think, I think it's right where we need to be. I think it's a, I think it's a solid number, solid preseason ranking. You know, they're still going to have a chip because if you listen to this team, they're they totally erased last year. They've earned that 17 mark from what they what they did last year, but now it's time to prove it. And I think 17 is about right where they need to be. You know, will it will it be a repeat of 2004? I sure as hell hope not. Uh, but I think I think. In the cards is written for a repeat of last year, and I think I think it could get done, and I think 17 is right where they need to be. Yeah, I think the ranking is good. Um, I know we'll probably say our predictions on a later show for how we think the season's going to go, um, but newsflash, I think we're looking pretty good this upcoming season with who we're returning. Um I, I think 17 is safe. I thought, did we see Texas was 11 or something like that? 11, um, or, 12, 11 or 12. So, I mean, overall, there's a little bit of disrespect with the Big 12. If you think about it, um, if you're um, the media is picking Texas to win the conference, but they have them at 11. Um, I would think historically, I mean, if we look back at some of the preseason polls, Typically, when we see like an Oklahoma or something like that, they're in the top 10, at least, if not the top five. Um, so I do sense a little bit of disrespect with the Big 12. But I, I, the thing is, it's a preseason poll. And I fucking hate preseason polls because 
Obviously, they don't matter. Um, and most importantly, uh, I think some media members will treat it as an opportunity to get people to interact with them on social media about how they suck um, and or a big circle jerk about, you know, some team doing really well. So, um, yeah, I, I think 17 is appropriate. Um, and the way that things could look um, if we start the season off well, um, you know, you could be playing the first big 12 game and, and at, you know, could be in the top 12 or, or so um, going into big 12 play, which would be huge. Yeah. I think, I think what you just said is important because the coaches poll is a little different than those AP voters that, you know, that hunt for the clicks and all that stuff. But the coaches poll being at 17, where they're at, if, if the AP is right where somewhere around there, like we said, going into that schedule, if you're five and zero, like you were talking, you could be top eight, top, top 10. It, it could be, it could be a springboard into the meat of the schedule for next year. So I think it is important to give some credence to like what preseason polls are, because I think it is a springboard and a catalyst into what your potential at the end of the year could be. If, if everything goes right. Yeah. Usually I feel like I dogged the coaches poll a little bit during the season, but I feel like the preseason ranking might be more indicative of where teams potentially could land as opposed to the AP poll, where I think Matt, to your point, sometimes it's media members kind of like trying to get clicks, trying to get interaction on Twitter. Now that Elon is paying people for interaction, maybe they just bought a blue check and they just want to get some, get some cash out of that. But um, the thing that I'm excited about is, you know, going into conference play, we could be higher ranked because Missouri is a team that's also receiving votes. So they're well-respected in this poll as well, uh, which bodes well. I don't know. I don't, I see Tulane on here. Troy is also, Troy's receiving more votes than Mizzou is. So those two games specifically could be a really good catalyst going into conference play against UCF um, to get, to get K-State in a much higher position. Uh, But yeah, Texas is ranked 12th. uh, TCU is ranked 16th. K-State's 17th. Oklahoma's 19th. And then... Who else was on there? Texas Tech is 24th. So uh, very interesting stuff on that front. I mean, I guess just going into fall camp, fall camp began, what, August 1st, if I'm not mistaken, about a week ago. Um, What are each of you looking for in camp? I guess just broadly, we'll get into some more specifics as far as specific position groups or or battles that you're looking at. But uh, what are each of you looking for in camp as far as specific storylines, specific things that you're looking for? and, And then we can go from there. Um, how, how are the wide receivers developing? I think, I think our ceiling this year is going to directly correlate with how good Keegan Johnston or Johnson is going to be just because we need, uh, we need to have a direct replacement for Malik Knowles, but, and I'm not disrespecting Malik Knowles at all, but we need to have somebody if we can have somebody who hits Malik Knowles' talent level and numbers, and I'm going to say to hit the ceiling for this year exceeds that, that's huge. Um, losing Cade Warner is big because of some of the leadership pieces, but he also, he was a talented player. It's, it's guys, are we hearing RJ Garcia's name? How is Phillip Brooks doing? Do we have some true freshmen that could play some snaps this year? Um, the Jaden Jackson, I, I mean, Sterling, Sterling Lockett, Sterling Lockett. Yeah. Um, so how is that wide receiver room developing? Um, so Will has people to throw it to Ben Sinnott is a guy where we know he's going to get a lot of, a lot of play this year. Um, but we have to have the, we have to have the talent in, in the wide receiver room to repeat this year. I, that's my true opinion. So I'm going to be paying attention to, to, what we're hearing about those guys um, throughout fall camp. I, I think the leadership is the most important thing that's going to be, have to come back. You know, we lose Deuce Vaughn. We lose Felix Anyubike Uzama. Basically everybody in the secondary, those were all kind of, I mean, there was captains back there. We're going to have to have the leadership step up to make sure that we have that chip on our shoulder and we don't look back at what we did last year 
so we can look forward to repeating as Big 12 champions. Will Will being back at quarterback is absolutely huge. He's going to be a leader for this team, Cooper Beebe. But we need to fill the rest of those captaincy spots so we can have a team that is basically having the same voice as Chris Kleiman so we can reach our full potential. I do like, just since you bring up leadership, and we'll get to Kobe Savage later, but I do like everything I've heard about him really emerging as a leader on defense. He's a senior. He's obviously been through a lot of adversity. We also obviously love Deion Savage, who has come on the show a number of times at this point, but uh, really pulling for a great recovery. And, and just, I can't wait to see him knocking people's heads off again in conference play like he did last year before the injury happened. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that later. We'll get to defense in a moment. To start off offensively, Quarterback, Will Howard. We kind of know what we're getting with Will Howard at this point. The first two years were obviously a little bit difficult, but last year he had that breakout in the TCU game, and then every game thereafter he put up numbers. He played incredibly well. I think he had, uh, what, 15 touchdowns last season and then four interceptions. So a great touchdown-to-interception ratio there. I guess my question for the two of you, First off, does Will Howard eclipse the 24 touchdown mark that was set by L. Roberson? Because if you look at how he was on pace over those seven games or six games, he would have he would have broken that record last season. So do you I guess first question, does he eclipse that 24 touchdown mark set by L. Roberson? For me, I think he does. I think a full offseason, I mean as the number one, he gets to build those cohesive uh, bonds with the wide receivers that Matt is so concerned about. And if he could do that, I, him being a red zone threat as well with Ben Sennett, I think he's going to be able to rack the stats up. But not only that, I mean, he's got an offensive line that is just poised to protect him the whole way. Will he be as hot and not as turnover, you know, as careless as, as he was his freshman in his sophomore year? You know, time will tell, but I think he is, I think he's doing exactly what he needs to be, to do, to be that guy. And, you know, he can, he can etch his name into some uncharted territory and to be the quarterback that we all remember outside of a few names. Yeah. I think it's going to be important if he's going to hit that 25 number, it's going to mean that we're going to see a passing offense that echoes the last six games of last season. Um, you take Deuce Vaughn out of the equation um, and we'll talk about the running backs here in a little bit, but if the passing offense is going to see a similar trajectory that it did in those last six games, then looking at the numbers, you would think he would hit 24. Um, but it, again, it, is it, are we going to see a primary pass catcher outside of Ben Sinnott? That's going to be catching a lot of those touchdown passes is going to be the key. Um, but I, I do, I truly believe that the Will Howard that we're going to see this season is going to eclipse the one that we saw the last six games of last season. He, he just looks, he looks like he's, he's developing into the leader that this team needs to be. He's gotten himself out there um, and was at the Manning passing camp this, uh, this past summer, getting those types of experiences and getting those eyeballs on him and, and basically trying to to hone his game down to to what he needs to be to be the the leader on this team. So I do think 24 is in play. Um, again, it's going to be I my hope is in the first three non-conference games he's showing out. So it's going to be, you know, maybe smooth sailing on that number through the rest of the season. But um, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll average like four touchdowns a game and be a Heisman Trophy contender, you know, I just never know. That leads me, that leads to, sorry, go ahead, Chef. I was going to say, I mean, do we think he's even, do we think he's going to be more of a running threat as well this year? Because his first two years, he was, I thought he was going to be a mobile guy. And he's he's gotten so 
fucking big. And he's so massive. He's a humongous human being. He, he could be a red zone threat with his legs, similar to what we saw in the TCU game in the Big 12 championship game, running those read options down there. I don't know if that's going to affect his numbers passing. But, I mean, from all indications, his arm is the his most, most lethal weapon. So if he does add legs to it, which he's, he said on podcasts and, and interviews that he wants to add more, I think that could hurt him a little bit with that number. I actually don't think. I think he's going to be – it's going to be more of a pro style situation this season. Um, he he has developed a body that looks like he could, if he has a good season, he's a high draft pick in the NFL. I I, I truly believe that. Um, he he has the the prototypical size for an NFL quarterback. He has that mobility, but I I think how he's developed his his passing acumen in the past season or so makes me optimistic that you're going to be able to take advantage of running him in certain situations, but it isn't going to be a gigantic focus as we've seen in some past games with him. Um, That is why I think there's the potential that not that we want to take the ball out of Will Howard's hands, but is there a situation where you're in the red zone and you have something with a quick quarterback, like, Avery Johnson or something like that to um, take some snaps and change things up. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but you never know. Um, I, I think my overall thought on this is he's, he's the body type of a prototypical pro style quarterback and his arm has shown the development that he needs to, to be successful if he decides to play football after college. Um, and so it will be very interesting to see how Colin Klein develops the offensive playbook and and how it maybe changes a little bit from last year because of some talent that we've lost, um, but how it changes more for Will's style of play. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think we're going to see as many design run play type of situations for Will Howard. If we are going to have design run plays, I do think we see maybe Avery Johnson moonlighting in that role every once in a while, potentially. Um, but I do think I, I agree with Matt. I think we're going to see more of that pro style type of offense run with Will Howard. Um, it does bring me into a little bit my my second question here. Do we think that Will Howard will break the single game touchdown mark, which he's currently in a 15-way tie with nine different quarterbacks in K-State history with four touchdowns in a single game? In, against SEMO, maybe he, he throws up five, potentially? What, what, what happens there? Is this yeah. all passing? Passing. Or just, okay. We've never had a guy throw five passing touchdowns? No. That's kind of incredible to me because I like Josh Freeman <laughs> never threw five touchdowns in a game. Wow. Um, yeah, that was you like all... check me on it. You can call me on it. No, that was we'll double check. No, no, no. I remember it from that Oklahoma State game. I mean, that was all the you know, that was the big stat line underneath his name because he had he had four going into the third. I mean, in the middle of the third quarter, at least. So I think everybody thought that he was going to get that number up, but I don't, five is such a big number in yeah, one on, game. On Wikipedia, you've got Paul Watson, Chad May, Brian Kavanaugh has four of these. Michael Bishop has three of them. L. Roberson has two. Jonathan Beasley has one. Josh Freeman has one. Jake Waters has two. And then Will Howard is sitting tied in a 15-way tie for, for first place. Colin Klein never threw four touchdowns in a game. Wow. No. Just like, <laughs> he run them in. No, 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 I, I know. But I just – they're. I don't think he gets five. Five is such an absurd number. That's ridiculous. Five passing touchdowns? Is it, though? I, it is. That's such a big number, dude. That's crazy. Simo, do you think that's out of the question against Simo? He, if he's even close to – if if we if he's got four passing touchdowns, we've got to be up forty points. Oh yeah, and we 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 put <laughs> there's Drew no way. Well, or it's twenty eight to nothing, and it's four touchdowns. Like we don't have yeah. to be up forty points. We could <laughs> Dude, be up you don't 28. Think, you don't think DJ Giddens is gonna bust anything loose? I mean, we're gonna talk <laughs> running backs here in a second, but I there's no. I don't think five five is out of the question. Five is I, out of the question. I mean, you heard it from Chef Matt. Do you think it's gonna happen? Uh, God, now I'm on the spot. Now I'm trying to think of the games that it might. Uh, 
I, you know, the first game of the season, I mean, are we going to win like 55 to nothing or something like that? I don't know. Southeast Missouri is supposed to be. We haven't done that in a while, but I I think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen with this team in this offense. Do we, who did we beat last year? South Dakota. Dakota. We beat beat them by like what, 30 points, right? Yeah, but it wasn't like a 50, it wasn't a 50 burger. Well, no. 70 burger. But we didn't give up a point. (laughs) Right. Right. Now I'm trying to remember. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to get five. All right. I will be the contrarian and say he gets five at some point. At some point. Uh, and then the, the last question here, just on like Will Howard individual record achievements. Yards. Will he get into the top five is how I'll pose this. So he would need 2,477 yards to get into the top 10. And he had 1,600 yards across seven games last year. So that would have put him on pace for 2,799 yards over 12 total games. So that would have put him in fifth place all time behind Jake Waters, Josh Freeman, and Michael Bishop. Will Will Howard get into the top 10 or the top five in all-time yards? So we need to average 200 yards a game. Yeah, he's coming. As long as we make a bowl. I had I had this conversation with... It's not all purpose, by the way. Sorry. Right. I, I had this conversation with Scott Wildcat on the Bosco's Boys podcast on his Blitz Month episode and talking about Will Howard's legacy. I think he's going to smoke that number. I think he's going to be... I think he, at the end of it, he'll have the statistical numbers. You know, he'll have the stats to put up against, I mean almost everybody in K-State history with the amount of games he's played, how, how much he's winning, and the numbers throwing the ball. I think he's going to pass through all that, and honestly, he'll be a top three quarterback in our history. So, I mean, wow. I think he's going to smoke that number. So, yeah. two hundred. It's only 200 yards a game. A top three quarterback in our history. I remember this conversation that you had with Scott Wildcat. And mm-hmm. I was thinking like we, I mean, we've been fortunate to have some really great quarterbacks. And I think what the, wasn't the question posed, like would, would Will Howard be, what would make Will Howard be considered the best case state quarterback ever? And is like, he throwing, you know, for 3000 yards and K-State making to the college football playoff and winning another big 12 championship. Would that make him the best quarterback in K-State history? For uh, me. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say no to that, but uh, I don't know. It, I think it's hard. Um, Cause are you looking at accolades? Like how the team does? Or are you looking at individual statistics? That's my, that's the conundrum I'm in. For me, quarterbacks are graded differently. So, you know, Scott said that he needs him to be a Heisman finalist. I don't, I don't think, I don't think he needs to do that. I think if if you're the first quarterback to bring two Big Twelve titles back to back, and you're the only one that's ever done that, that's a ring on your belt that nobody else has. Nobody can say that they've done that. So, not only that. If to do that, we have to have a good quarterback, and statistically, he's going to have to be good for us to accomplish that. So, I don't think we need, as K State fans, to bring in outside, you know, noises and uh, opinions to say who's the best in our in our at our school. Like to say that we need Heisman voters to vote on our quarterback to make sure he's better than a quarterback that played. 30 years before him. I mean, I don't think that's necessary. So if, if we, we watch Will Howard lead this team to a big 12 title and he's putting up relatively good numbers, taking care of the ball, a guy, a kid that's never watched Michael Bishop play or a kid that was, you know, three years old when Colin Klein was doing it, He's going to say that Will Howard's the best quarterback to ever play. It's just, that's just how it is. I think the thing we can all agree on is Will Howard is the most important player on this team. And if, 
if somehow if a situation occurs like what has happened the past couple seasons and something happens, he's out for a couple games. I think there's going to be a drastic difference in the expectations of this team versus, I mean, last season where, I mean, Adrian went down, Will came in in the TCU game. Um, you know, obviously Will had a great game in the Oklahoma State game, but um, I think the drop off to the second quarterback at this stage is extremely high. Um, so it's going to be important to to keep him healthy to even have a conversation as to if he's going to be the best quarterback ever at K-State. One thing I will say to that is we felt that same way about Will Howard last year. So who knows what kind of improvements Jake Rubley has made in the, in the off season, knowing that he is that second string guy right now. And knowing that one of the things that stood out to me in Kleiman's press conference this week is that he said the game has slowed down a lot for Jake Rubley, which echoes ex- almost exactly what he said about Will Howard last year at this time last year, when he also echoed that, Will Howard is the best backup quarterback in all of college football. When he said that this time last year, all of us were not all of us because there are some people who are, who are Will Howard defenders, but I think all three of us were kind of maybe shaking our heads at that or scratching our heads at that because he hadn't really proven it at that point. And even going into the Oklahoma state game week, I remember Philip Slavin saying on this podcast, I need to see it from Jake Howard. I am not sold on, two quarters of him, three quarters of him playing football against TCU in a, in a night game or whatever. Um, so I, I will say that's the one caveat I will add there. Um, but that leads me to my next question over under how many games do we see Avery Johnson and Jake Rubley in this season? I'm setting it at three and a half for both of them. I mean, I'm going to say under for both. Um, I think for Avery Johnson, you're preserving that red shirt as much as humanly possible. Um, I, I, there's a blank in my, or I, there's a little bit in my mind that thinks that he, he looks like a guy that could be a little bit of a change of pace, a quarterback and you could run him. But again, you don't necessarily want to get the ball out of probably your best players hands on the team. Um, so I'm going to say an under for Avery. I'm going to say an under for Jake Rubley as well. Um, maybe the first couple games and there you go. Do you, do you think it's under for Avery? We don't try to maximize those four games that you get to before you burn a red shirt. Right. We're going to get him in some design packages potentially at some point, maybe later in the season to try to throw a wrench in things. For me, I think for me, you set the over under at three and a half for both of them. Yeah. So I think it's over for Will. I mean, for, for Avery, Simply because he's, we're going to maximize his value at four. So I mean, you get four. So I think that's an easy. I think it's under for Jake because I think he'll take mop up duty in basically all the non con games if we're absolutely smoking them. And then for conference games, I don't think we're going to need. I mean, maybe Houston, but I think we'll keep Will in the the entire game. Avery, for me, I don't think we'll see him early. I think we'll see him later once he's, you know, matured and he's basically a sophomore towards the end of the season and weapons are getting banged up. You, you can, you can throw him in. I think, I think we'll see him for, so for me, it, a- Avery's over Jake under. Yeah. I think maybe we don't even potentially see, I mean, depends on how the season goes, right? Uh, if the team has a couple of losses going into, you know, week 10, week nine, maybe we don't see Avery Johnson, but if the team is undefeated, knock on wood, or if we only have one loss and we're in contention for Arlington, we may not see Avery until the Baylor game, the KU game potentially. Um, and then just try to throw kind of a wrench in their game planning to see, I mean, just just to add a different element and maybe take some of the take some of the burden off of off of Will Howard's back. Maybe he I mean, it's going to be late in the season. He's probably going to be relatively banged up with how physical and, and tough the Big 12 is and just how college football is in general. So I'm with you, Chef. I think maybe we don't see him until later in the season. I doubt we see him as early as a SEMO or something like that that's more than likely going to be Jake Rubley to come in and, and do that mop-up duty. But it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm excited for whenever it does happen, just to see what happens, just to see what he brings to the table. We've seen all the highlight reel stuff. We've seen this stuff 
on, you know, huddle or YouTube or whatever, where, where he has his high school highlights. And, and there's a lot of great flashes in what they've shown so far from the training cap camp footage, but it's, it's going to be exciting whenever it does happen. Harmon said he's fast. So, I mean, if, <laughs> if, if your head coach is saying you're fast, then you know something's, something's up with the boy. It's yes. going to be wild. All right, moving on to, so speaking of fast, uh, moving on to the running backs, we've got Treshawn Ward, DJ Giddens. We've also got Joe Jackson, um, who was the freshman coming in. How do you envision the workload being split up, coming coming into a world without Deuce Vaughn for the first time since the 2020 or 2019 season, really, because we had him 2020 through last season? Um, how do you envision the workload being split up? Um, because DJ Giddens, we saw him in specific packages last year, specific situations. Treshawn Ward was kind of almost brought in to quote-unquote replace Deuce Vaughn, but there's no replacing a player like Deuce Vaughn. It's going to be replacement by committee. And then kind of my, my third part to this is how often do we see Joe Jackson? How much does he get into the mix? Knowing that running backs when they're freshmen are more likely to see field time than freshmen in, in a lot of other positions on the field. For me, man, I now this is going to be a weird take. So I think DJ Giddens is going to get a absolute lion's share of the carries. Now hear me out. Matt, you should be really tuned into this because we're so, you know, unproven at wide receiver. I think we'll have a lot of two back sets. And I think Treshawn Ward is going to play a lot of like, not necessarily slot receiver, but he'll be playing more receiver role than, you know, just a split. I mean, a, a I backfield handed to Treshawn. I think DJ Giddens is absolutely a monster. He's setting up to be a bell cow back. And I think Treshawn is going to have his role with the team, but I don't think he's going to be the primary ball carrier. In my opinion, I think we're going to find ways to get him the ball. You know, his like nine to 10 touches a game, but I think, if we're going to see somebody that's going to tote the rock 17 to 20 times, it's going to be DJ Giddens. Wow. That's a, that's a bold prediction. Um, all things considered, because I think a lot of people forget that we even have DJ Giddens and that's not ju that's just because everybody's been talking about Treshawn Ward since he committed to K-State from Florida state. And when we saw DJ Giddens on the field last year, he just, he showed a lot of talent and even if we, you know, if we didn't pick up Treshawn Ward, I was feeling good about DJ Giddens this upcoming season. Um, if he was coming back to K state, the, the really good thing about this duo is I think there's a yin and yang here. You have Treshawn Ward, who's going to be a little bit more quicker and from a lateral quickness perspective, he's a more explosive back, but DJ Giddens is, extremely powerful and you're going to be able to game plan with both of those guys at really on a game by game basis. I mean, a lot of it I think is going to be how strong the opposing um, you know, the opposing seven are going to be. If you have uh, a team who's going to have some really athletic linebackers, maybe you're going to use DJ Gins a little bit more um, versus, you know, some teams where, you know, the linebacking core maybe isn't as quick and you can, expose that with Treshawn um, in the passing game or with um, just some different option plays. So it, it, it will be very interesting to see how many times we're going to see it in a game, them on the field together. I mean, I know we saw last season there were packages with DJ and Deuce Vaughn together. Um, and I would agree. I think Treshawn's going to be very important in the passing game as well, especially with an offensive line who's so experienced that can block on some screen plays and, and some design passes there that can take advantage of that quickness and speed that he has. So I think the wide receiver, or excuse me, the running back room is – it's one that you have a little bit of an unproven side just with Treshawn not being there um, for spring camp. So this fall camp is really the first time this coaching staff is getting the um, getting to see him in person, so to speak. Um, I, I just think they're going to be such a good match together with what we need on this side of the ball um, because you, you just never know how to game plan against a power guy and a, and a speed guy. Um, it, it's very tough for opposing teams. 
And then, I mean, I do want to also talk about Joe Jackson, but then the other guy I'm forgetting about even is Anthony Frias. He was he was really highly touted coming in last season. We saw a few games with him in it, and I don't know. I, I mean, he's a redshirt sophomore. He's got a lot of time still, um, but I'm curious, how, how often do you think we're going to see Joe Jackson and Anthony Frias in that mix, knowing that DJ and Treshawn are going to get the, the majority of, of the snaps. At running I think back. it's I think it's going to be a tight battle for that third spot because you obviously get four games with Joe and you can preserve that red shirt. But Anthony Frias, the only time that I saw him in the game was that Missouri game, and he fumbled on his only carry, which sucked because I know physically he has the ability to do it. And, you know, you can see Deuce Vaughn, I mean, literally consoling him on the sideline, saying that he's better than that and to get it out of his head because he, he has the ability. And I'm excited for Anthony Frias. I think he he does a lot that DJ Giddens does to a lesser extent, but he can provide that inside the tackle running and catching the ball. That's what Kleiman says he can do. He's a he's a basically a balanced back. And if Joe has to sit back and you know, learn from these guys because, you know, Trey Sean's, this is his final year, I think. DJ's going into his sophomore year. Frias is going into his sophomore year. He could he could basically just sit back and learn and, and prepare for next year. Uh, I, I'm excited to see Joe Jackson um, hopefully get some touches. I mean, as a freshman, um, and, and knowing you have two very talented running backs in front, um, it may be tough to see the field a little bit, but uh, you, we've, heard, we've heard some positive things about him thus far, and it makes me think that he's bringing enough of an impression that he's going to get some touches in games this season. Um, Anthony Frias, yes, you, you'd mentioned the one play in the Missouri game, but we didn't see him much at all through the rest of the season, and um, which makes you definitely um, think, okay, um, maybe we're just going to play two running backs for most of the season, right? And uh, so is there a guy that's going to stand out enough to where, number one, if Joe Jackson stands out, out enough, are you going to play him for more than four games in the season or do you want to preserve that red shirt? Um, but you may need a third guy um, just to, to again, maybe a change of pace or just take some workload off, um, especially with a, a long season. So um, it, I, I'm excited for Joe Jackson when he does get on the field. His high school highlights really show a lot of talent there. Um, I think he'll be really good in the system. Um, so I hope he gets some – I would love to see him get some, get some snaps this season. Okay, now remind me, from 2019, you know – Climate's coming in, and you know we hear all these stories about how he utilizes a million running backs, and they're pounding it down people's throat, and they're using four, they're going four deep at running back. When he came in 2019, we had James Gilbert, Jordan Brown. Who was the third back? Was it Harry Trotter? <laughs> Let me double check that because we 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 all expected to that. We were going to have this stable of running backs and no running back was going to get that overwhelming usage that, I mean, a year later, Deuce Vaughn is that guy and he's getting the lion's share of the carries and not too many, and people are transferring out because. Bill Irvin was another. That was, no, that was 2020 though. 2019 football roster. I'm looking at it. We've got Harry Trotter, Jordan Brown, Thomas Grayson, Joe Irvin, Clyde Price, Tyler Burns, wow. James Gilbert, and Willie Garrison the third. Oh my God! Okay, so we had Will. Yeah. Okay. So 2019. I mean, and we Will, really and Joe Irvin really didn't play. No, I don't no. think he played. I think he came in because he was a he was a redshirt freshman the year Deuce came in, and you know Deuce kind of overtook him, and then he never was able to overtake Deuce. But that's what I'm saying. Like. We're, we're saying that we're going to get three, you know, three running backs onto the field and get these carries. But even when we were that I formation kind of team, basically running that North Dakota State playbook, we still didn't really get three running backs onto the field. So now that we're spread out even more, utilizing the tight end and the wide receivers more and more, 
and passing the ball a hell of a lot more. I just don't see why it's necessary that we would need three running backs. We really only need one at that if the Deuce's model is the model that we can kind of see from Colin Klein, I think one running back might be enough. For sure. For sure. And I'm sure we're going to see them in the passing game as well, but, but primarily the guys we're going to see in the passing game, wide receivers and tight ends. It's kind of an open question this year. There's a couple of, of solid standout guys that we know for sure are going to be mixed into that passing game. The guys that I immediately think of are Philip Brooks, who's been here for seemingly a decade now. You've got Keegan Johnson coming in from Iowa and Brian Ferentz's offense, which is going to be really interesting to see what he delivers because, again, kind of an open question. He has a lot of talent, but he's coming from an offensive scheme that doesn't really leverage wide receivers at all, to be honest. Their head coach loves to punt the ball and loves nothing other than to punt the ball. And then you've got tight end or H-back, really, and that's Ben Sinnott, uh, who caught a lot of touchdowns. He had a lot of great, great receptions last year. Um, and a lot of games where, or, or at least a couple of games where he was the leading receiver on the team. Um, so it, it kind of opens up the question of, I feel like we get, got at least a decent idea of who, at least at wide receiver, taking tight end and H back fullback out of the equation from wide receiver standpoint, you've got Philip Brooks and Keegan Johnson, who are kind of coming into this season being deemed as that number one and number two receiver. That said, there could be a competition for even number two or number three, and then four, five, six beyond that. Who takes on that third spot? Is it RJ Garcia? Is it Jaden Jackson, who Matt and I, back last year on the, the Bosco's Boys preseason extravaganza, we picked Jaden Jackson to be that breakout player last year, but he struggled with some injuries and, and just didn't get, to, didn't get to see a whole lot of time. There are a couple uh, passes that he caught in that Alabama game, and, and we didn't really see a whole lot of him other than that. Um, so I, I'm curious for the wide receivers position specifically, how do you see that position unfolding this year? And who do you see as kind of the one through three? Maybe if you want to throw in Sterling Lockett or someone else on the back end there, Trey Spivey potentially, who are some other guys that are in the mix for, for some, some reps and, and that we could see break out this season? I mean, I should probably pick Jaden Jackson again, right? I mean, I, I'm like, in the same boat. I feel like I have to. I have like, to speak to it. Like double this, double down, this, boys. Yeah, double down. Point, like if I don't pick him, he. I mean, maybe that helps. Uh, no, I. The third spot will be interesting because I felt RJ Garcia at the end of last season. Um, obviously, the big touchdown catch in the TCU game, but he was getting some time out there. Um, he's he's shown he's shown some prowess and, and athleticism that I would probably expect the experience will help him in getting that third spot, which I mean, would probably consider the third spot, maybe our slot receiver. Um, but Jaden Jackson is just this unknown. I mean, coming from Ole Miss, he didn't really play last season. I think he came in during the Alabama game. Yeah, um, and it has a ton of talent. He was a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school. Yeah, Ole Miss. Yeah, and and that was a reason why I kind of picked him last season to have a breakout year for us. And um, so 2023 is actually truly the year he's going to have a breakout year for us. Um, so. I think the important piece is who's going to be able to come in and just be, be a reliable pass catcher at this point. Um, because with the top two are just so easily up there. Well, like, I mean, you have to have some guys three, four, five that in a situation where somebody gets hurt or you're playing five, you know, if we're going to play four wide outs and a tight end, I mean, you have to have guys that are going to get open. I mean, that's the separation piece, I think, for our wide receivers has been the one thing, and and I feel like my entire K-State like life, but um, I would say recently at least where, you know, we didn't have the capability to get separation against some of the better teams in the Big 12 um, who have just talent at quarterback and talent at safety. So, um, is there a guy, you know, is RJ Garcia or Jane Jackson, a guy that can be, you know, maybe a long, 
long pass plays, you know, somebody that can get some separation and get open for 30 or 40 yards. Who knows? I mean, it'll be interesting to see the development of RJ Garcia and it'll be interesting to see who the heck Jaden Jackson is as a wide receiver. Well, you want me to tell you, Matt, do you want me just to tell you, I'll tell you who it's going to be. Xavier Lloyd with one L. (laughs) Don't sleep on the boy. I'm telling you. He's gonna come in, he's gonna surprise a hell of a lot of people this year. I think he'll probably be taking the, the number two stats behind uh you know probably behind Keegan Johnson, but I think he can he's gonna elevate himself to where he's one of the best receivers on our team. You know, it's just one of those stories, you know, the K State story, the walk on. He's getting he's the guy that's getting the NIL dealt through getting his scholarship paid through his NIL. And I love that. I think that is going to be something that's going to be talked about throughout the season because he's going to he's going to play. There's no doubt. He was the first in Middleton's breakout session today, our new head, our new wide receiver coach. He was the first wide receiver asked about. So maybe that's just, the you know, the, you know, that's the question asker showing his preference. But I think he's got the ability He's in every one of the highlight tapes that are that are put out on Instagram and Twitter. I think he's going to be a sneaky good player at wide receiver for us. That's a little nugget for you boys and girls. How much do we see Sterling Lockett this season? And and then a second question that I also have: Last year was a huge recruiting year for wide receiver. We had Wesley Watson, uh, Andre Davis, Trace Spivey. And God, who am I missing here? Jace Brown all came in as freshmen. How much do we see those guys? Do we kind of rotate around and maybe burn or not burn their red shirts, but try to maximize the four games just to mix and match and get some of those guys some playing time, get them some reps, and hopefully maybe all of them get four games at some point? I don't think I don't I think three of the four are just not ready. I think they're they just have to, you know, they have to develop in the program. I think the one guy that is kind of thrown in there that from a physicality standpoint has the abilities of basically every one of those freshmen and the Aggieville Alleycats kind of, they, they laid this out perfectly, but Trace Spivey is all, is that receiver that from a maturity standpoint, from a athletic standpoint and from a pedigree standpoint, he, he can come in and contribute as a freshman but it's not somebody that we're going to rely on. And I think the future is bright at receiver, but I think what we have right now, you know, not what Matt says because Matt doesn't know anything about ball or wide receivers. We're going to be fine. You can shut your whore mouth. Uh, Isn't Andre Davis – He's a Kansas City kid that's like 6'3 or something, right? He's oh, I think he's 6'4. I think he's six, a four. I mean, he's a big boy, like 210. Yeah. I Andre Davis. I feel like we're we've been Good really value. missing, we've been really missing for years a Chris Harper type, you know. A guy who's just this possession wide receiver. Wasn't Chris Harper like 6'3 or 6'4? He was a tall son of a bitch. I think Chris Harper was like 6'2. He played quarterback well, with yeah. the Oregon. Yeah, I, mean, I think he I, was like six two, but he was a thick bastard. I think he was probably one of the strong receivers we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. His hands were just incredible. You know, tall wide receiver who can get up and get the ball. You know, maybe it's Andre Davis this year. Maybe Chef's a hundred percent wrong. Like, <laughs> like, like his tin hat opinions on everything. I'll tell you what, man. My, my. Hold on. What was it? What was my even wacky theory from last year? Was it the the basketball like not regular preseason tournament for basketball? Yeah, that, that is gonna people. that's gonna come out, dude. I'm telling you, when when it's all like it's just a conglomerate of Power Five programs, that's what's gonna happen. I mean, it's just <laughs> that's just it's just bound to happen. Well, yeah, because there's only gonna be 24 Power programs in 10 years, so someday it's gonna exactly. <laughs> eventually eventually we just need to win a natty and then it all goes away right like right you become a top the big Ten's gonna want us if we win a national championship it's something right i was listening listening to andy staples this morning and he said something like 
he has this batshit crazy conspiracy theory where Oregon State's going to win the national championship this year, and then Oregon State's going to be fielding calls from the SEC. In the yeah. Listen, my uh, we're getting off the rails here a little bit. I don't mind it, but you know, for me with this realignment stuff, because I'll talk about it for just one second. Somebody's got to lose games, and you know, you bring these the, the Oregon's, the UCLA's, the USC's, and you already got the, the Big Ten East and all that shit. Dude, somebody's got to lose games. And when they say, oh, we're going to have primetime matchups, when when UCLA is 6-6 six and six after getting smoked by Iowa, nobody's going to want to watch them on TV. Nobody's going to want to watch Penn State after they disappoint and they're 7-5 and five and have to travel out to USC, who's, I don't know, 8-4. and four. Dude, get out of here. I think it's Sign just, me it's, up for Penn State 7 and 5. It's just silly, dude. I think it, I, there's UC, not enough teams to win to make them UCLA, all prime UCLA is 6 and 6, and they lose to Iowa, and the score is like 6 to 5. <laughs> With Jim yeah, Kelly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> dude, it's, it's, it's that whole stuff. That whole thing's got me flabbergasted. Like, dude, not there. There are going to be primetime games late in the season, but with who? They're all going to have losses. They're, it's not going to be as prime time as these fuckers think. So stupid. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, but I do. I want to get it back on track. I'm going to get us back on the rails, which I'm not usually very good at, but I'm going to try to be better at this season. All right. We're, I want to talk about H back tight end fullback. It's all kind of like one conglomerate of a position for K state at this point. Benson, it was what the the fullback preseason fullback for the Big Twelve this year, but uh, which is just wild to me because I don't think we've seen him play a fullback snap in in at least since did we see him play a fullback snap last year? Yeah, he took a fullback dive away from Jet uh, Jackson in the KU game. That's right. Oh, dude, I was so pissed off at that because I wanted Jax to have that moment against K against KU as a Lawrence guy. Um, but Ben Sinnott, he is clearly the number one guy. First question is, will he solidify himself? Or do you think he has the the ceiling to be able to solidify himself as the top tight end in K-State history? He's going up against guys like Travis Tannehill and God, what? Trujillo is the other guy that I'm thinking of, who is another really solid stud at at tight end. Zach Trujillo. Zach Trujillo. That's a name. What about Andre McDonald? Andre McDonald. Yeah, Daniel Imarhata Bebe. Daniel Imarhata Bebe was like the guy I thought I thought he would just have a season where he would bust out and you know silence all the non-believers that he's had through his career through like five different stops. He was like JT Daniels before JT Daniels was JT Daniels. Who, who's now for me? Who's now at Rice <laughs> or Rice? Yeah. Oh God! Don't don't lose the food. Uh. For me, I think Ben Sennett is already, I mean, no matter what he does this year, I think he's kind of established that modern day tight end at K-State. You know, we used to have to just stand up and basically just be another tackle at at tight end. And I think those days are done. We'll see who can uh, surplant Ben Sennett after Ben Sennett leaves. But as of right now, he is the, he is the mold. He is the prototype for what he is can be. So Ben Sinnott, <laughs> number one tight end in K-State history. Is that his ceiling this year? Or do you already think he is the number one tight end in K-State history? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Matt, thoughts? <laughs> yeah. I almost thought about saying a five-second window and just hitting the mute button every half second. Uh yeah, I, I do think it's highly likely he will be um, just because we've been leveraging the tight end position so much more this past season um, because Ben Sennett was uh, he was just really good at finding open windows and, and making plays. Um, he has very reliable hands. Um, we saw some really great catches from him this past season. Um I don't like comparing I don't like comparing to the Chiefs, but I mean, I think about it this way. Like you have unproven talent at wide receiver. 
who's your best pass catcher? It's your tight end. And are you going to put together an offense that features your tight end? Probably. And leverage the wide receivers in, in certain situations. Um, Chef's shaking his head, but I can't tell if he's like shaking his head because his internet's bad and he's like, oh my God. But um, I, I I mean, I just, I, I think Ben Sinnott is, has shown his talent and I think, I'm not saying it's very easy to become the the best tight end in K-State history, but we haven't really leveraged the tight end since Ben Sennett. So um, I think he's definitely going to solidify himself as long as he stays healthy um, as being the the best tight end we've had. Who is tight end number two? Do you think it's going to be a guy like Will Swanson, or do you think that someone else will pop in and and take that mantle? I'm back. Am I back? You're back. Okay. I'm not going to go on a long tangent on this. I think it's Garrett Oakley, and it's really not close. I mean, Will Swanson has been given every opportunity to be a serviceable guy, and I just think he's more of an inline blocker, and we're getting way, way, way away from that. Yeah, I was hearing Garrett Oakley's name um, as well. Uh, and I, I think from the tight end position, I think the preferred tight end is going to be somebody who can make catches and um, get by an open linebacker. So um, there's definitely going to be opportunities, you know, where you need a blocking tight end. But um, I, I Garrett Oakley's name has been one that we've heard um, from the coaching staff. So I'm thinking he's going to be the number two um, backing up Ben Sennett or we're going to be running some two tight end sets, sets as well. Yeah, tight end. I'm I'm excited to see what the future of that position looks like because obviously Ben Sinnott is incredibly good. We've got, I mean, we've got another year with him because he's a junior right now. Does he have also a COVID year that he could add on to that if he wanted to? Like, could we potentially have two more full seasons of Ben Sinnott after this year? Does he get the COVID year? He's a junior. So his first year would have been 2020. Not if he's Travis Kelsey. <laughs> I mean, if he is Travis Kelsey, he's leaving. He's getting drafted as a junior. Exactly. <laughs> Didn't the Bills draft the tight end in the first round? They, yeah, Kincaid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We just, um, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just kind of. Uh, but I, I'm just kind of picturing that. That's kind of how I could see the offense functioning is rolling around the tight end a little bit. Um, there are some strong tight ends. I mean, in college football, I think he's proven that if he has a consistent year like he did last year, I, I think the sky's the limit for him. Well, in similar similar to the wide receiver position, that was a heavy position that we recruited for this offseason where we got three true freshmen who are into the program now with Garrett Harstad, Andrew Metzger, and Will Ancio. So it's going to be a position where we have a lot of competition in the future. It's going to be interesting to see how those guys end up stepping in in the future. But uh, moving into probably the most experienced position that we have, position group that we have at K-State this year, the offensive line. You've got the offensive line. They met up at So Long Saloon this offseason to discuss potentially running it back, which is hilarious that they went to So Long Saloon to say, you know, hey, we're, we're not saying so long to, to the program. Uh, we're coming back for another year. They made a pact to come back. Cooper Beebe, he was a shoe in as a day one or day two guy in the NFL draft last year. He's essentially solidified himself as a day one guy this year, um, pending, you know, God forbid there's any sort of injury or something that, that, that gets in the way there. But how meaningful is it, do you think, to the team as a whole that this squad is returning all of its starters uh, for the most part on the offensive line. And again, with the caveat that we found out what yesterday that Christian Duffy has an injury, he likely won't return until the start of after the start of the season. So maybe a game or a couple games in um, and knowing that also Taylor Poitier has had a really interesting trajectory with his career at K state, but all of those guys have come back. What are your thoughts on the offensive line position? And what does that mean to this, to this unit as a whole on offense? If I must, <laughs> if I will try to get through this without tearing up because this whole offensive line returned back. You know, I, if you're a KSO subscriber, you've known that Christian Duffy is going to miss some time, and it's no secret now. 
but the depth of the offensive line is what uh, Connor Riley and Chris Kleiman has been talking about for years. You know, they've been wanting to roll nine deep, maybe even 10 deep at the O line with quality depth. And I think they're finally starting to reach that capability because without a, without a second thought, Carver Willis is a guy that can step right in at right tackle. And I don't think we're going to miss a beat. And a guy like Taylor Poitier that you brought up, Bob, is a guy that had the potential to be the best offensive lineman on this team before those knee injuries and was, you know, talked about in the same breath as Cooper BB was when he was a young pup. So we could be looking at something very, very nasty this season. And it could it could get spicy for the Big Twelve. Yeah, I, I historically when K State returns this position group, really good things happen um, for that season. Um, with Cooper Beebe returning, I mean that was obviously huge. But to get guys who just have so much experience in their particular positions. And having a really cohesive unit come back together for one more season, people are gonna people are gonna talk about we need to make sure Will is protected, and we need to make sure that we can get DJ some running room and all this type of stuff. But when you're bringing in new guys into a unit, it's a lot more difficult to try and get that group together in such a short amount of time before the season starts and. For these guys, you're really taking some of that out of the equation and you can really then focus on, okay, this is going to be the playbook for this season. This is what we need from you all and go from there. Um, I, Out of this group, I want to see Taylor Portier have an amazing season because what he's been through, it, it would really be huge to see him really flourish in his position um, just for everything that he's, I mean, he's given up a lot to, to even come back for this season. Um, as chef mentioned, and, and it, I saw, I did see on KSO that Christian Duffy's going to be out for a little bit. So um, at that right tackle position, it will be important, um, you know, to see who's going to fill in there. But the nice part is you have guys that played last season that are going to come in and you can plug and play at that position as well. Um, it, this, uh, I'm going to continue to say the sky's the limit with this team and historically with a returning quarterback, it's huge. You have a huge season, but it's the offensive line that really, especially at the beginning of the season, not having a unit that's trying to come together and you're trying to learn how to play together against competition that it, it just, it plays such a huge part. And we've seen seasons where you don't have strong offensive line play it's a struggle. I mean, and so that's why I'm just so excited about this season um, because I think this unit is the most important unit on the offense um, just with that experience. So it's going to be very exciting to, to see what they're going to be able to do. And, and for me, like you said, Matt, the having those guys come back and we don't have to worry about like installs and all that stuff and getting the, the team focused on just this season, it helps those second guy units, the second guys on those second units, you know, get prepared and take those first team reps throughout a lot of the fall because those first team rep guys don't have to really take all that much. And it, it helps them for next season because we're going to lose all these guys. And it would be a hell of a shame that these guys don't get any reps and it's just thrusted on them starting next year but they're going to get a lot of reps this fall season, which is going to help in the long run next season. And that's something that they've done a really good job of is getting guys into the rotation. We've seen Carver Willis get meaningful game snaps and stuff. And, and guys like uh, Andrew, Andrew line gang, you've got uh, John Pastore who's had, who's had some meaningful snaps as well. So the depth at this position is insane. We've recruited well at this position as well. We're hopefully going to continue to recruit well at that position because I already know we've got some guys who are in the fold, but there's some potential options out there for this next recruiting class that, that could be incredibly good as well. Um, I guess my last question is, you know, Matt kind of alluded to this as well, but Chef, I want to ask you too. 
is this the year that we finally see Taylor Poitier reach his potential and remain injury free? Because something that they've talked about every single preseason, the last, I think the last two or three preseasons is Taylor Poitier is looking insanely good. He's going to have a great season this year and potentially even better than Cooper Beebe, but we haven't been able to see it because of the injury problem. So, so I want to throw that to you. Is this the year that he finally has that incredibly great season and, and then puts himself on, on NFL draft boards? For me, I'm no doctor, but you know, when they, you know, reconstruct these knees, these ligaments and stuff, they most of the time come back stronger. So I'm not too, because he's got both of his knees done. I'm not too worried about like injuries in terms of, both of those knee injuries were freak accidents earlier in this early, early in the season. One was in camp and one was in a freaking, was it in our first game last year? I think it was. It, it's just, it sucks to see that, but I think that's behind him now. And I think he's going to be able to flourish. You know, it stinks for a guy like uh, Hadley Panzer because he, you know, he, all he knows is starting on the offensive line. And I think, he's going to now turn into that rotational swing guy that is going to be able to play center, both the guard positions, be able to kick Cooper out to maybe right tackle or whatever, wherever we need him to spell this offensive line. I think that's where Hadley's going to end up having to go, which is fine because I think we have two all conference guards on this team. One all American one, you know, maybe a potentially first team all American our first team all conference. It's going to be a really killer position group, and I think we've we've alluded to this already, but that offensive line, I think it is an incredibly meaningful position because not only are they protecting Will Howard, but they're going to be opening up those those running lanes for for Treshawn, for DJ, to be able to punch the ball in and, and hopefully get us some yards, get us some touchdowns. Um, with that, that's going to wrap it up for the offensive side of the ball for our position groups. Uh, we're going to go ahead and depart for, for now, and then we'll do a defensive position group analysis here uh, moving forward. But for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, uh, if you're listening, if you're watching, appreciate you doing that. Uh, give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcast, uh, or subscribe on YouTube to be notified of new episodes when they drop. Leave us a review with your feedback, and then like this video if you're watching it on YouTube. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef. Hopefully this goes through. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride.